The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. I have to first start out the, I have to start with this introduction to this show. That I have to really applaud social media platforms for the way that they bring people from different walks of life together from different parts of their life. And you really never know who you might find on Facebook, not just LinkedIn, but on Facebook that can be very, very relevant to you in business today because you've worked with them, let's say, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, even 10 years ago. And then all of a sudden, there they are again, and you don't have to go through a mess to find them. You could just sort of look them up and start having conversation again as if, no time had passed at all. And in this case, I have today Mark Saylor with the Saylor Company, and that is a global communications firm. And just to go on and on with what I'm talking about and droning on about, Steve Ellis works with Mark Saylor, and Steve Ellis was um, a boss of mine probably about 25 years ago, and we did crisis communications together, and um, Steve reached out to me and said, maybe you want to have Mark on the show, and this was all via Facebook, and I said that that would be a great idea, and it all culminated in a wonderful lunch together right here in sunny California, and now we're colleagues, and Mark Saylor and I had known each other when he was a business editor at the LA Times, and I was the Vice President of Public Relations for Playboy Enterprises. So that was another coming back together. How did you like all that, Mark, for a long intro? That's great. Uh, and it is interesting how we reconnect at different parts of our lives. And uh, and the great thing about w- what I'm doing now is that it feels like it's pulling together a lot of the different elements of my professional life in a way that they haven't been before and really, really uh, applying it to new problems and um, Although I've got a, I've got a bone to pick with you, I, I don't think you ever got me over to the Playboy Mansion, and I'm you know still upset. Well, you never asked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mark, that would have been very very easy for you to do. I remember very clearly having breakfast with you at the Hotel Atani with Martha Lindemann, and we're sitting there, and you could have just said, "Hey, you know, you think you could get me to the mansion?" But you know what I think? I think because you are a very serious business editor, and I, w- I would say that's true, and that's a compliment. You were. You were there to find out information about where Playboy was trading, what that means to shareholders, what that means to customers. I mean, you were, you were really pretty a ser- you were a pretty serious guy to your testament. So I think because you put your journalistic professionalism first, even though you were dying to ask us to come to the mansion, you just didn't. Am I right? 
I think that's probably correct. I was way too serious back then. You, I mean, you were like, you were just mansion. now. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's going to be a mansion anymore because he's getting he's engaged to a 24 year old and he's buying his company back. So yeah. I don't know if there's going to be a budget to pay for mansion parties because it's basically the corporation's dollars that paid for those mansion parties anyway. Ah uh, well. Well, anyway, you know, we could always dream. Exactly. Okay. But, um, you know, I think that a great question to start with or a great platform to, to start with is the difference between regular PR people and crisis PR people. And I think that there are a lot of them. And one of the things that I want to say about you that you would probably say about yourself, but I think it's so important, uh, is that people who grew up as journalists, and I'm talking about serious journalists with serious traditional um, media outlets, okay? You didn't have your own little business blog. I mean, you were seriously, you know, top business editor, LA Times, very, very long time. Journalists probably know how to dissect and handle a crisis better than a PR person that didn't have experience on the journalism side. Would you agree with that? Well, I think that may be true, sure. Uh, I mean, I like to think that my, my experience is really useful in what I do right now, and I can tell you the reasons why I think that's the case. But I also would say there's, there's certainly some really good people in PR who did not grow up on the journalism side who are, are very able. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I certainly don't want to suggest there's only one, one route to where, you know, to be really good at crisis PR. I mean, the way I think about it is that there are different kinds of. Um, if you look at almost any profession, um, you know, whether it's whether it's legal, the legal profession, where you have kind of litigators who go in and you know put on their armor and fight in courtrooms, versus um, you know people people who draw up contracts or do other kinds of legal work. Um, there are you know in in police work, you have you know you have a parade detail and you have a SWAT team. Uh, you know, in, in military, you've got, you know, the regular forces and then you've got special forces. And, and the crisis, you know, PR side of it is, you know, is, is, is analogous to those kind of special forces or the SWAT team or the, you know, the, the high stakes litigators in, in, the, in, in the litigation world, where, where you're kind of prepared at all times to jump into a highly complex, highly charged situation and be able to make sense of it uh, fairly quickly and be able to make sensible, you know, come up with sensible recommendations. And, you know, there's a number of qualities, I think, that are required to do that well. And one of them, of course, is the kind of experience that you've had. Uh, you know, you know I, I mean, it's, you know, it's a nice thing that, that there, are certain, there are certain professions where you actually get better at as you get older. And I don't mean to suggest anything about your age, but I will say that I'm getting up there now. And and it's actually the the older I get, the better I get at this because I've got you know gives, I've just got more and more experience, and that's one of the things you need in a crisis PR situation is just a familiar, familiarity with a lot of different situations and businesses, and being able to come in and assess things very quickly. Now the journalism aspect to that that I think is beneficial is that um, you know I spent. I, 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 you know, two decades basically of my life coming into a newsroom every morning, and and I did work at serious newspapers. I worked my way up in the newspaper world from small newspapers to to the L.A. Times, and and then to pretty uh, interesting levels at the L.A. Times, and really did you know some Pulitzer quality work, edited Pulitzers, directed teams that won or were finalists for Pulitzers, and and was operating at a pretty high level in journalism. But I would come in every day and assess some range of the world 
and and very quickly in you know in a matter of of minutes kind of make some judgments about a you know a series of complex situations and and then draw you know this is what ought to be a daily story this is what ought to be a sidebar this is what ought to be the weekend story we're working on this this is the this is the information that I need to get in front of me in order to make better decisions about the next steps uh you know calling together the right team and the right group of people to you know to to get action you know moving forward um and when you do that every day for 20 years um you know it gives you a kind of second sight in, into you know just into complexity and so when I'm invited into a room uh, all of a sudden, and this is, as you know, what crisis work is, with a CEO and a general counsel and a outside, usually an outside litigator who, you know, maybe a criminal or a civil matter. Uh, sometimes there's there's regulatory aspects to a situation. Sometimes there's you know, 60 Minutes is called, or or the New York Times or the LA Times, and somebody's doing an investigative story, um, and, and and there's a, you know, alarms are going off all over the place. I can usually come into that situation and having just having been through it so many times, be able to say, look, here's here here are kind of the the hills and valleys that we need to look at here really quickly, and here's the information that we need in order to make a better decision. And so, so the long-winded answer to your question is, yeah, I think the journalism background is really useful, and and in my company now, I really like to hire people with journalism backgrounds i don't do that exclusively at all but but uh, you know one of my colleagues in the room next to me is is evelyn iratani who's a w- was a longtime journalist at the la times and, and won a pulitzer a few years ago for her her uh, coverage of uh, walmart and you know that's the kind of level of person that we have who's just deeply deeply experienced and knowledgeable about the world and and can you know quickly make some sensible judgments you know in complexity no, I, I think that's very, very well said. I, you, you made a lot of great, very articulate points about some of the things that a crisis management type, some of the experience and some of the traits and some of the abilities that they must have that a simple publicist might not necessarily need to have. Um, and, you know, very, very important things, the ability to make quick decisions. Um, the ability to know how to bring in and work with legal counsel when necessary or vice versa. Um, but, you know, most importantly, I think, is when um, in a crisis, a, a talent publicist, for example, you know, and I won't use any specific name, if their client gets into trouble, they might not. They might know how to promote that client when that client is coming out with a new movie, because that's and, all. And, good and by the way, I, I would add to that that they could probably do that ten times better than I could do that. I mean, they, they have a specialty that's not mine as well. Um, so I don't mean I, I wouldn't want to denigrate what they do in any in any respect. Not meant to. Um, just really talking about the facts. But what happens sometimes is is that their clients and constituents will go to them as a first stop, naturally, because it's their publicist. And sometimes when I see mistakes take place is when that publicist tries to handle, you know, what should be classified as a crisis themselves, and then it ends up being a mess. Because I'm not a believer that, you know, what press is bad press, just as the name is in the paper. And I've watched this, and, you know, Mark, you know my background, so I had the... You know, I don't know if it's the the privilege or the benefit, 
but I've done the talent side and I do the crisis side, okay? And they're both very, very, very different. Um, You've had the fortune or misfortune to be in some really, really difficult situations and, and handle them well. Excuse me? I'm sorry? I said you've had the fortune or misfortune to be in some really difficult situations, yeah. and you've learned well, from that and, and handled, it, handled it really well. Well, no. Well, thank you. But, again, that comes with experience. It comes with having to be at the helm of a company that is highly visible and has some sexiness and controversy. controversy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's face it, you know, when you're representing Playboy Enterprises, you know, it's not always easy because there's the sophomoric elements and there's the serious elements. And then there are the angry constituents like, you know, people who want to pick at you and people who are throwing bananas at you and people who want to say really mean things about you all the time because they hate magazines that show naked women <laughs> because it's the destruction of civilization as we know it, Mark. But anyway. Yes, and we certainly all know that. Of course. Well, listen, um, uh, you know, um, one more question before we end this segment, and I promised you that all of these really go very, very quickly, okay? Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about traditional media a little bit, and what does that mean to you that we're seeing a time when traditional media might be dying, well, I, I think I think I mean this this is obviously a great area and one we could talk about endlessly. But I I, I would I, I would zero in on a couple of points, and 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 they may seem contradictory. But 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 let me let me um, uh, you know let me address your question this way. I, I I think that there have been some fundamental changes because of technology in the way the media works, and and those changes are, are, have happened already over the last couple of decades and are continuing to happen at a really, really fast pace. And so nobody in the PR business can ignore how quick, you know, how the the vastness of those changes. Uh, And uh, and I think the the two central things that have happened that affect PR um, are the globalization of communications. And we deal with a lot of international clients who have discovered to their benefit and chagrin at times that what used to be something you could handle on a local level or within a region um, suddenly spreads beyond that region. And the things that you say locally now are, are heard all around the world. Um, and, and the other thing that has happened is that, is that stories live on forever. Um, uh, either a mention in a blog or a, you know, the, the, the best example may be you know, it used to be that a local paper someplace could write a critical article about a company or an individual. And while it might not have been pleasant, it, you know, in three days, that's, you know, at the bottom of the birdcage. And, and it would might have been, you know, two, you know two de- when my career started, it would have been hard to find that article two weeks later. Um, you know, just physically locate it. You know, you'd have to actually go to a local library or something like that or get somebody to, God bid, you know, you know send you a fax of, uh, you know, uh, of the article. Um, t- you know, today those articles are searchable. They they are referred to in blogs. They they just have an ongoing life that lasts lasts forever. And so it, it's speeded up and and widened the media impact. Uh, 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 you know of of 
you know, way beyond what, what used to be the case. Oh, and by the way, I think Listen, that's Mark, part I, of what you know what? I have to come to the end of this segment, and I'm going to okay. pick up that same question again in the next segment so we could revisit it and you don't have to try to remember, oh, my God, what did I say and what did I not say? So okay. if I want everybody to stand by and hear more from Mark Saylor as he talks about traditional media because it's really, really an important element of crisis management. So stand by and don't go away. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. We're back, and we're talking to a good old colleague of mine, Mark Saylor, formerly business editor, L.A. Times, um, currently running a great company called Sailor Company, and it's Public Relations Council, and it's worldwide, and they have really professional people. He's really made sure to bring a very professional team together, as any journalist would do when they go from the journalist side to the corporate side. Are you loving it, Mark? I am. I've, I've, um, I had a wonderful career in journalism, uh, great adventures, and I'm having more fun than I've ever had doing this. 
Um, and actually, a lot of the skills that I learned in journalism uh, I've found useful, and, and the things that I enjoyed in journalism, deadlines, pressure, um, interesting kind of varied diet of, of complex situations, it's, just, it's what I'm dealing with now. And what's really important, too, is your ability to write and know how to write like journalists want to read it. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly helpful. And and as we discussed earlier, you know, when you come in every day and, and look at news events and then kind of plan how to cover them, it, it puts you in a position to be able to kind of think with or ahead of sometimes journalists when you come in and say, you know, this is this is what they're likely to do today. These are the questions that are going to interest them. Uh, this is what they're going to want to know, and this is what they're going to want to know tomorrow, and this is the story they're going to want to do on Sunday. And so let's anticipate that and be ahead of them. Exactly, and then you can't, your client can't say to you, well, screw the journalists, <laughs> because you can say, listen, you either got to come up with an answer or you're going to be you know, written about without a comment or without an answer, and that's not really good. It's not like you're really telling your client, what to do it's you're telling your client what's going to happen and they better do it no that's exactly right you want to you can you can be very effective in making a prediction that very often will come true which seems like a parlor trick but it's the a parlor trick that results from 20 years of of experience doing it oh it's very true listen in the last segment i asked you a question and i tried to rush it and it didn't work as a rush so i'm going to actually rephrase it and i want to have you know another discussion about it um, and we were talking about whether or not traditional media is dying, and I'm going to have you answer that question again, even though you kind of did in the last segment, and explain to people who might not know what, why we are calling it traditional media, why we have to kind of designate it from you know, citizen journalists and other kind of media today. Yeah, uh, and and I realized in the last segment that I was not following the advice I give to my clients, which is get to the point, Mark. Oh, it was okay. <laughs> you gave some nice color commentary. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> right. Uh, well, um, you know, traditional media, uh, print media, uh, broadcast media. You know, I, I tend to distinguish, as I think you do, from from internet media, which has the capacity to both be more, uh, you know, immediate and responsive and um, you know, it's just changed the entire dynamic of traditional of, of, of traditional media. Traditional media tends to be tied to certain forms. Internet media tends to, you know, it's obviously tied to the forms of the internet, but it's it's much more, you know, it's it, you know, it's obviously able to be much much more responsive, quick, direct, um, you know, answer questions that consumers want. Uh, of media want uh, and and differentiate between consumers of media. Um, anyway, the the, the 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 real so the core question is: Is the old media dying? And the answer I I think is no. Uh, and and uh, as much as people is, is it changing? Yes, changing dramatically. Is it? Are there other forms of the old media that are going to be? Less important now than you know than they were 20 or 30 years ago. Yes, uh, but but I actually think none of us should underestimate the staying power of the old media, uh, particularly as we look ahead for the next few years. Now, looking ahead 30 years may be a different matter, but I, I actually have a, a small prediction that I'm willing to make today, and that is that we will 
a year from now think of this as the year of the newspaper. Uh, newspapers have been all, you know, the, 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 the kind of common wisdom now out there is that newspapers are dying and they have been losing circulation and they have been under enormous financial stress. But I, I look ahead to this year and I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of newspapers don't become more profitable as the economy turns a bit. And after retrenching for a period of years, I think you'll see, see them doing well financially. Uh, part, part, of that, part of that is the changing of the debt structure of some of the companies. Uh, but don't underestimate newspapers or the old media. Now, I say that in part also because if you actually look at the conversation on the Internet and, and in other places, uh, you know, in, digi- in the digital world, um, uh, there was a study recently that showed that, 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 that it, when, when bloggers are you know, talking about current issues, that, that uh, 97% of bloggers refer to articles in the traditional media. Mm-hmm. And that could be in cable TV or in, on, on um, you know, network TV or, or newspapers. Well, what, is that, what that tells me is that, that traditional media still has enormous influence in driving the conversation uh, on the Internet. Uh, and 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 so none of us should underestimate the, the power of that media. Likewise, we shouldn't underestimate the impact of that conversation on the internet and how it changes what the traditional media is doing and has to do. And I, you know, there's probably a lot more to be said on this, but but uh, I, I'm gonna gonna. Uh, <laughs> no, well, listen, no, I, it's it's wonderful because there is a lot to be said, and you know, I know from the newspaper industry today. That there are a lot there there are a lot of internal discussions. You know this too because you know you you probably hang out with some of your you know veteran uh, some of my best employees. friends are journalists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, you know, listen. For example, at one of the electronic j- digital shows last spring, the New York Times was at a conference, and the person in charge of digital media at the New York Times. Now remember, this is the person in charge of digital media, you know, so, but he was a former traditional, you know, writer, you know, with the, with the New York Times. He, he didn't really say this for sure, but he said by the year 2015, 2016, I mean, he alluded to it and somebody was interviewing him about it. He really thought that the shift of content would be more digitally oriented. Now, that I'm not saying that that's the end of the New York Times. You know, I'm just saying that I think the way that the large news organizations, particularly print, are thinking about this is that their names and the news they deliver will still stay in the, with the same kind of credibility, strength, and high respect that they once had when they were in paper form, but eventually um, you're not always going to see news executed in the print format. And I think that's pretty realistic. That's not to say that there's not going to be a New York Times at all. It's just going to be a different New York Times. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's absolutely right. And, 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 and even if, the, newspa- even if the, the, the newsprint version of it no longer exists, and I think that's probably going to happen at some point, um, uh, you, you know, I think, I th- I think there, there still will be a need for in, in effect, expert journalist, uh, uh, you know, c- kind of opinion um, guiding news judgment in some fashion or another. You know, some of the most interesting digital platforms that are coming up right now, 
and, and some of them are even beginning to, to find, find a, a, you know, a financial underpinning. Um, and one, one comes to mind is, I think, a very, you know, it's a liberal-oriented site, and, you know, but, but forget the politics for a second, but Talking Points Memo does a very good job now of, of actually reporting and breaking stories. And they are, but they're, you know, they, they put editorial judgment into what they do, whether you agree with it or not is another matter, and there's some developing on the conservative side as well. Uh, but, the, the, you know, the, these are finding, you know, readers, they're finding a financial, uh, you know, support, uh, an economic model that makes sense for them. And, you know, there'll still be, there's still going to be plenty of room for trained journalists in the future. I, guess well, I, I agree with that. I agree with that entirely. I think people get a little hysterical when they hear, oh, my God, newspapers are dying. Well, you know, they're really not. They're evolving. You know, right? And and uh, I mean, the, the, you've actually touched on something that I feel very strongly about, and and it's something that w- we we, you know, everybody, we all in our lifetime, th- you know, I'm a student of history, and 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 in our, you know, we tend to look at our lifetimes as being the kind of the way things are supposed to be, and you know, and and I'm of a certain age and remember a period like in the '60s and '70s when you know there was a handful of newspapers and some you know maybe one or two newspapers there was networks there was and like that's the way it's supposed to be but what we forget is that's not the way it was supposed to be because you go back to the history before that and what you had was a, a, a real free for all in the media if you go back you know well before that it was it was um you know you I mean, go back to the revolutionary war for a second in that period what was the media then and the answer is the media then was actually much more like bloggers and and the free for all on the internet today uh than it was like the 60s or the 70s no i, I think that's uh, brilliant the, i could think of paul revere he was kind of a blogger wasn't he well, that's right, and uh, I mean, yes, of course, different times. <laughs> I, I love that, Mark. Let's do a but, press release. But, Paul Revere was the first blogger. <laughs> oh, but if you go back then, people were printing one-pagers. You know, they weren't making a lot of money at it. They were really, really strong. They were viewpoint-oriented. Uh, they were all sorts of different views, you know, dozens and dozens of competing publications. Uh, I mean, it was a lively public discussion in the same way that the Internet today is a lively public discussion. There wasn't one monopoly newspaper that had a viewpoint that was the authoritative viewpoint. And so if you look at history, the, there was a, that period of stability in America, in American media, is actually an anomaly and not you know, it, it, that's the outlier in history. And so what we're seeing today in some some respects is a return to the kind of a natural w- way that med- the media has always been. I love that. Well, listen, we have come to the end of this segment. We will continue this in next segments. You're doing great. Very, very funny. Great context in terms of, you know, journalism's history, at least in the U.S. And um, stand by for more with Mark Saylor. Um, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At BR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. BR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of BR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. BR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. Whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. We'll talk about the NFL with special focuses on the game itself, and Double D will take your calls and answer your emails live on the show. It's not Football 101, but rather an in-depth look in the locker room, on the field, away from the field, and opening up the mind of the player. The program will also feature positive messages. So tune in to Double Time with Double D, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. And we're back with Mark Saylor, and we're talking about crisis management and the differences between regular PR and crisis PR and what constitutes a crisis and what might not and, you know, the history of citizen journalists and how we could remember them riding on horseback announcing their news and now people are doing the same thing except they have a smartphone in their hand, okay? (laughs) Instead of saying the British are coming, you know, we're saying all kinds of things that are happening at different places at different times. And, um, you know... Now it's it's the British are coming smiley face. (laughs) I think that's exactly right. Um, One of the things that happened this week very, very tragically is, and, and you know about you know, the, the details, Mark, is a very, very sad and heinous stuff that took place in Tucson. Um, and even though what happened was just horrific and, you know, we all watch it and we all get very sad and, you know, we we try to analyze events, Think that the way that the news covers events like this today is very different. I tracked it yesterday 
and not yesterday. Well, I, I did some tracking yesterday of how the events were covered. I did a timeline of who covered it first, what happened first after the shooting took place in Tucson. And the first news outlet that got it very fast because they track what citizen journalists are posting and tweeting about, which happened right when it was happening. So the first big news institution that covered it was the Huffington Post. And literally, it was posted maybe a minute and a half after the shootings had taken place. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. That's remarkable. So, you know, that's kind of a difference today where, you know, we talk about the shouter bloggers, you know, the people on horseback. But here we have shouter bloggers, but a lot more people are able to hear what they're saying than just the people in a small geographic area. Right? I mean, you know, you, you get the Huffington Post up with, you know, a minute later with what had just taken place. And number one, the world's going to know. Number two, other news organizations are going to have, you know, be hysterical and trying to find out more insight so that they can compete against each other to find out more in depth what happened and putting it up on the air first. I mean, there's, there's sort of a craziness. Um, a couple of things happened, and again, this is a horrible event, but here are the things that happened right to um, to kind of not have people or audiences frustrated with not getting enough information. So it's kind of like a crisis gone right when you analyze the communication and law enforcement response elements. There were two, there happened to have been two emergency response crews there because they were changing shifts or something. So instead of having one emergency response team that was in that area at that time, there happened to have been two. So just sort of by coincidence, the, the medical response and emergency response were able to really get the bodies to the hospital and, um, you know, oxygen and emergency response medically as quickly as possible. There were a lot of bodies, but there were also the two trucks, which is kind of like wild when you think about it. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was in some ways really wonderful what happened. I mean, well, and then, you know, and I, I'm sharing this with you, Mark, and, and the listeners, because most of these times people like you and I can do an analysis and will really criticize what went wrong. And this is the first time in a long time that I'm seeing things that went right. Instead of waiting for medical information to follow, particularly with Gabby, um, you know, because they, she, listen, she has a lot of fans. She's she's really admired, and you know, she's kind of like a sweetheart there. Um, the the spokespeople from the medical team were able to come forward right away with what they thought the prognosis was, and even though they never said that they were entirely optimistic, they all said that they were cautiously optimistic because they were able to measure immediately how the bullet went through her brain and statistically analyze what that means for, you know, in at least making the distinction between life and death in the most immediate response and they were always there to give information they were never missing they always had a spokesperson talking about you know what was going on in the hospital and then the surgeon general's office confidently came out with responses instead of wavering and trying to figure out what they were going to say so i haven't seen this kind of choreographed communication in a very long time do you agree with that 
Yes, yes, I do, and I, and I think it's. Uh, I think in that respect, it was handled well. And and I mean, there's a different aspect to the crisis communications part of this, that is the political response that's happened over the ensuing days. And I don't know that it's useful in this context to. Oh yes, it is. Discuss that at <laughs> deep length, but I would say that 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 I mean that that's where you know your your crisis communications experts in the political field. Obviously, are jumping in and and weighing in and 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 weighing all the short-term versus long-term issues involved in how to communicate about this. And you've seen you've seen some, I think, some 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 real mistakes and some real really wonderful ways things were handled. You know, right? I think the and I you know again, days. Obama. You know, you say his name, you always get a mixed reaction. You do. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not making any pro or con statements, but it's so funny, and I think you see this too. When you mention Obama's name to respectable people, you know, you always get somebody like, ugh. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, but he took advantage of this in a positive way to sort of bring America together. Well, I think I think he, yeah. I mean, he certainly handled it with with decorum, and his words have been words words have been thoughtful. You know, John Boehner, I think, has handled it reasonably well, and and some other politicians as well. But but uh, um, you know, you can also see the the kind of craziness that's happened on cable TV and on the internet in terms of the the blogosphere going wild over this on all sides. I I, I, I actually think the the point you started with is 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 more interesting and relevant to crisis communications, and that is the degree to which these kinds of events now are reported by people on site, not by journalists coming in a day later or an hour later or, or three weeks later. Uh, and, and, and I think that's a big change in the way, um, the way events for business, my business clients and individual you know, high-profile clients, uh, th- that really affects them, and that is that no matter what happens anywhere, now, um, what you have is a lot of people coming in, whether they're you call them citizen journalists or whatever, but reporting what's happening. And there are sites now that are devoted to that. Of course, there's lots been written about how Twitter had an impact on this or that. And there's Facebook. You know, people are talking on Facebook. But there are now sites like uh, there's, an, there's a site that started up recently called Intersect.com uh, that uh, is, a, is a social media site that's, that's kind of geared toward storytelling uh, Exactly along these lines, where if something happens, people can weigh in. It, it's 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 designed so you can report it by a particular location and time, so that um, and then then you can track events, you know, at a particular location, but just based on who's there and who's reporting on it. Um, well, that affects uh, you know how you respond in a in a in a critical situation pretty dramatically. It also uh, I, I think is a really strong argument for what crisis communicators typically advise their clients, which is you want to be the first person to come out with information rather than letting other people tell your story for you. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, the BP crisis, that, that was an issue constantly is, you know, BP, I think, started telling the information pretty well and then quickly fell behind in telling its own story and allowing other people to jump in and say, well, no, we've analyzed how much oil is coming out in the Gulf, and it's a lot more than you've been saying. Um, you know that sort of thing, uh, but but it but it but it it really puts a lot of pressure on on companies to you know stay ahead of 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 um, you know of the citizen bloggers so to speak. No, I, but I think that companies really have to pay attention to that. And I, I don't. I in the cases of BP and Toyota, I wish that you know 
there was a little bit more awareness of that. Toyota, you had a cultural issue, and that made things very difficult. And I, and I think that if you and I would sit and analyze the Toyota situation, we know that the Japanese are just, they're, they're very hard to herd when it comes to having to admit mistakes um, and particularly admit mistakes that are going to be quoted in the media. But we are coming to the end of this segment, and we could continue this. In the next segment, and please, I, I do welcome your comments about Toyota as well and, you know, even JetBlue. So I want everybody to stay tuned and don't go away because we have one more segment with Mark Saylor, and um, I think that this is a show that will be quite educational for those of you that really don't understand what crisis management is, so don't go away after and come back after this commercial. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at one 472 5787 one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're back in our final segment with Mark Saylor. It's a public relations council, Saylor Communication. 
And um, Mark, did you want to add some comments about about you know Toyota? You know, I kind of spit out my point of view, but anything to add? And uh, well, I, I actually think the the point to draw from Toyota, and you, you know, every one of these big um, you know crisis situations, it's almost like a master class in you know, for all of us in learning how, how to make these things work and not work. But uh, it seems to me that Toyota, it was a classic case of not, not figuring out that you can't contain, you can no longer contain bad news within borders. And, and it may have been a cultural thing with Toyota executives, uh, as you were suggesting, but the, the fact is that Toyota is a, is a global company, and they, they didn't seem to appreciate the, the uh, global nature of this problem. Um, one of the stories that came out after the problem, the, the, you know, of the uh, the uh, sudden acceleration problem came out, is that they'd been having a series of problems like that in Japan. But because the the laws were different, they are different there, and that the the liability laws are different, and people, you know, couldn't bring the same kinds of lawsuits. Toyota basically had been burying that fact, instead instead of learning from it and and having anticipated the problem, you know, they, they buried it. And therefore, they only dealt with it when it came up in the U.S., where there's a different set of liability laws. Now, that's a failure as a corporation, not a, uh, not, not a, um, uh, you know, they, they allowed not that good, crisis. Not good values. Not, you know, right. we always say in crisis management, you should have good core values. So whether, you know, even though you don't have to, like, talk about it from a regulation standpoint in Japan, you know, you should have some core values, Right. Right, exactly right. And and to me, this brings up another point that I've, I mean, there's a kind of a couple of interesting points about crisis that, that, that as, I've, as I've learned over the years, that, that are sometimes surprising to people. And, and one is this, that, that, that crisis, people think of crisis as being this sudden thing that comes on from outside and that you could never have predicted it. And, and while that is sometimes true, the vast majority of business crisis, I think, is entirely predictable. Crisis is predictable. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that you can take almost any major crisis that's happened in business over the last 10 years or 20 years, and you can look at it and understand that this is something they should have anticipated and planned for. I mean, Toyota is a great example of that uh, we were just talking about. They saw this problem coming. They should have seen it coming. It was, it was in cars in Japan, and they didn't anticipate that this would become a problem in the U.S. And, and you know... Is that a predictable crisis? You bet it is. Why wait until it you know rolls over you? You know they, they should have anticipated that and planned for it. Um, I mean Tiger Woods. You know, I mean there's a great crisis. Was it entirely predictable though that a man whose whose uh, you know whose fortune and and public entire public persona was based on being a a good family guy with good values was behaving like a wretch uh, and, and that eventually it would come out? I mean, that's a predictable crisis, isn't I it? I think so. Um, uh, you know, BP, I mean, again, this is a company that, that has, a, has a history of being in high-risk um, markets and in high-risk, uh, you know, areas of business. And, you know, they, they'd had some problems in the past. And, in fact, a book was written about BP not incorporating safety into its culture ad- adequately. Entirely predictable that this kind of thing could happen and play out this way. And they were seemed caught flat flat footed by it, and the CEO certainly was unprepared to deal with something like this. Yeah, no, I think that's um, the other thing that I find uh, coming into crisis uh, situations is that f- frequently I'm invited in to deal with a crisis, and the company hasn't identified the right crisis. They, you know, I come in and they say, "Well, here's our problem," 
And I look at it and I say, well, you know, actually, that's not your problem. What your problem is, is you've got to step back, you know, take two steps back from that. You have a strategic problem over here. And if you solve that, that will lead to a series of things that will solve the problem over here. I mean, they think the problem, for example, is 60 Minutes called us. No, the problem is not that 60 Minutes called you. The problem is that you did, you know, there's all these other things that led to 60 Minutes calling you. And I'll give no, you a- you're exactly right. And um, this is where your firm can really come in and help people do a strategic preparation. Am I correct? Yeah, no, and, and far too companies, few, too, too few companies do that, by the way. Many companies have, have big, fat, telephone book-sized um, uh, documents that are their crisis plan, and invariably those get thrown out the window. There are, I'm not saying there isn't some use to those, and, and there is certainly great value in planning the chain of command in a crisis. But, but uh, a lot of those plans just get thrown out the window right away. And, and part of it is they're not thought through strategically in terms of where is the crisis most likely to come. And that's certainly something that we are, we've done with some companies and far too, far, far too few companies you know, anticipate the likely crisis that's, that's going to occur to them. No, and, I, and I think that's well said. Very, very important for people to hear. And I think what Mark and I see a lot is sometimes – you know, a lot of lawyers see the light, a lot of manufacturers see the light. It's much better. It's not just an emergency fire drill. It's talking about the emergency response, but how that emergency response has to be communicated to many, many, many different constituencies and how quickly. So it's an, it's, it's right. an a very, very important drill, and I really suggest that um, more and more people consider this, whether they're big or small, because it never hurts to be prepared like a good Boy Scout, right? That's right. Now, listen, I want to have an interesting question to finish everything off. Are there any clients that you wouldn't represent, Mark? <laughs> um, well, uh, th- that certainly has come up before, and 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 uh, and I guess uh, when I got into this business, I thought there would be, and I find that's less and less true. Uh, I actually find... Um, I'm not sure there's any, uh, any I've turned down yet. Uh, I, I, I've th- certainly theoretically there are. But, but let's keep in mind that people who come to me to solve a crisis, no matter what they have done in the past, typically actually want to solve the problem. If somebody comes to me and says, I've, I've done this heinous thing, and I want you to help me cover it up, well, that, that's somebody I can't help. And so that, that's business I couldn't do. But if somebody's done something, that's, that's troubling, uh, that, that doesn't bother me as long as they're willing to create a solution, you know, so it can't happen again, so that, you know, the, the, the consequences of it are dealt with. Uh, um, but but the, the, so the short, the, the, the short answer is, is that, the, the, that in terms of those I could help, no, there's probably not many people I would turn down. There's a lot of people who I wouldn't represent because there's no way I could help them and they're not prepared to change. Um, but and yet there are some people that can repent. If um, you know, if 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 Lindsay Lohan really said that that she wants to create a new image for herself, you might have something to work with. Well, yeah, ab- absolutely. But but there's been certainly no indication of that. But 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 the more interesting question is, you know, for us because we've d- represented a number of foreign governments. Are there some foreign governments that have done such heinous things that you couldn't represent them? And the answer is sure. You, 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 but they're not prepared to change. Um, you know, the, 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 there are some there are some dreadful dictators who, you know, they're not going to repent of what they've done. 
but uh, but certainly there's plenty who are to, who have been willing to change, step up, try to try to try to fix things. No, I, I think that's very true. I just wanted I had to ask you that question. Had to ask you that question. No, I, th- I think of my work like a like a good defense attorney does, and that is anybody who comes to me deserves a the best public arguments that they can they can make, and and uh, uh, I never tell my my uh, never advise my clients to lie about anything because I always make an assumption that that it'll be found out at some point, particularly in the twenty four seven internet world. And that becomes counterproductive. So It certainly know. does. Why don't you tell everybody what your website is, Mark? It's sailorcompany.com, S-A-Y-L-O-R, company, all spelled out, sailorcompany.com. And, um, you know, we, we represent uh, both uh, individuals, you know, high-profile individuals, but, but uh, corporations as well as uh, governments uh, that, that run into problems. And I want to just kind of give a little testimonial to um, Mark Saylor and Saylor Company. They're really, really great. And I know that even though you're worldwide, you are, you know, in California, you're based in the Pasadena area. And everybody that listens to my show ought to really think about maybe checking out crisis communication preparation go through the exercises and the drills because it's really better safe than sorry. Cindy, thank you so much. Okay, you're very, very welcome, Mark. It was a pleasure to have you. And um, I'll have you on the show again real soon if I didn't torture you too much. No, this was fun. All right, well, then you take care. Thanks, everybody, and have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American. I-